shout out his goodness this morning. Don't be afraid to get loud. Excuse me for a minute, but I have got a song to sing. Might not be on key, but it's from my heart. No one else can tell what the Lord has done for me. This might take a day, so I better start right now. And it might get loud. Coming down, 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 and it might get loud. It might get loud. Heaven's coming down, 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 and it might get loud. I don't have a handle. No, I'm not a perfect man. I'm just glad to be a child. I got a praise on the inside, it can't be nothing. 
In Matthew it says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise, the winds beat against that house. It won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Would you sing this with your church? Christ is my firm foundation. The rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaking. I've never been more glad. When I put my faith in Jesus. He's never let me down. He's faithful
going on in our world right now and I just wanted to take a moment to be able to stop and if you are able to lift your hands and join me as we pray for our world for the country of Ukraine and this prayer has been prayed by thousands and thousands of churches all across the world so would you join with me? Oh Lord, our governor, whose glory is in all the world, we commend to your merciful care the people and government of Ukraine, that being guided by your providence, they may dwell secure in your peace. Grant to their leaders and all in authority wisdom and strength to know and to do your will. Fill them with the love of truth and righteousness and make them ever mindful of their calling to serve their people. Grant, O oh God, that your holy and life-giving spirit may so move every human heart in the nations of the world that working and witnessing together we may live in injustice and peace and change the heart of those who would make for conflict and war and through the name of jesus we pray amen may we speak jesus over our we speak the name of jesus not only over the world for the uncertainty we're facing but also for the people in this congregation for your hearts for your minds for your families for chains to be broken for lives to be changed starts to bring
You guys just came from worship, huh? All right, we'll see you guys. Have a good, have a good time. We love you. Jerks leave right when I speak. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, hey, welcome to Camarillo Community Church. We are so glad you're with us, whether you're online, in the building, on the patio. Uh, man, I don't know how that came across online, but it was electric in here. And if you're online with us, we'd love for you to make your way into the building with us eventually uh, when it makes sense for you, and you're certainly welcome here. Uh, for those of you guys who are prepared tonight uh, is the guest dessert. We do those very periodically for kind of welcoming new folks into our church, into the fold, kind of taking their next step into kind of getting to know the leadership and whatnot. It's a little bit more of an intimate setting. Kind of make it one on 40 rather than one on 200 or whatever like that is on Sundays. And so if you are signed up for that, please make sure to be here tonight. Don't leave me hanging. I'll be here. We want to see you and uh, get to meet you. If you are a leader, uh, certainly show up so we can welcome some new folks to our church together. And if you are not RSVP, don't come because we ain't got food for you. And so, you know, but those of you guys who did RVP, please come and uh, remember that it is tonight. I want to encourage you and ask a pastoral request for you to come back next week. Uh, please come back next week, kind of like a pastoral favor. Make sure you're here next week. Next week I have, um, well, next week is my the fifth anniversary of me being your pastor, number one. That'll happen next week. And, uh, and what I'd like to do, yeah, what I'd like to do is, um, is invite some people on that weekend that had a significant input in my life, mentorship in my life, uh, even discipleship in my life. And so uh, we're going to have doc Dr. David W. Miller, formerly of the church at Rocky Peak in Chatsworth. He's now retired, uh, but he's coming out of retirement for one Sunday to come and preach here. And he's an awesome guy. Uh, you will love him. I promise you, if you show up, he, you will, you'll be touched by what he has to say. And he's somebody who, man, some 25 some odd years ago had great influence in my life as I worked with him for five years at the church at Rocky Peak. And I'll share some more of that uh, uh, today as well. So I'm just asking you, would you do me a favor and be here for him, to welcome him, uh, and, uh, and make sure that you enjoy that with me. Five years, they still have not come back to me and said, we're not, you know, renewing your contract. And so I always figure that's a good thing to celebrate. I'm still going to be here the week after as well. And so I'll come back next week for John Fairchild, uh, not John for, uh, for for David W. Miller. Uh, the story is about John Fairchild, that's why. Um, Anyway, so David Miller would put on these uh, staff retreats every year. In fact, we would do them around here. Uh, only time I came to Ventura County is during that staff retreat. We'd hit like the Oxnard Shores and like Ventura and the harbor area there. There was a big resort there called the Mandalay Bay Resort. Today, I think it's called the Embassy Suites at Mandalay Bay. Um, but that was the resort we'd go to. And he would take the entire staff team. I mean, there was literally 50 to 100 people on staff. I mean, we, we took up the whole resort, it felt like. Rooms everywhere. We'd get together and have these planning meetings, these dream meetings. And it was the highlight of the year that all the staff, you know, the church would spend so much money on it. It was like our highlight. We're going to go. We're going to have fun together. And we're going to obviously go to war together after, after that uh, in ministry. Why don't we have some fun in the process, too? So we go to the beach. You know, we go golfing. And I remember the pastor, uh, David Miller, saying, hey, anybody wants to golf, I'll take you. And so um, uh, I ended up with a foursome with like the youth pastors, uh, the middle school, high school, and the college guy. And then myself with a foursome. And then the, the foursome before us would be the executive guys. This is a church that had like four executive pastors. Uh, each each uh, youth ministry pastor had four pastoral interns. So each department had like their own staff team. 
It was a mega church. Uh, 3,000 people or so would, would, would be at the church on any given weekend. And uh, we would go out and we would golf together. It was really cool. He would say, hey, if you want to golf, well, I'll pay for it. Well, I mean, nobody's going to say no to free golf. Even though all the youth guys, none of us like golf a lick. Not, not even, I mean, we're hoping to get in the air. I mean, if it gets in the air, we're happy, you know, type of thing. But because we don't know anything directionally, anything, we, we, we're not golfers. You know, the executive guys, maybe they can golf. They've been playing for a little while. You know, we would just get up there and swing for the fences. I mean, it's like we're playing baseball, except for, you know, we just want in the air. So we would go, ooh, look how high that went, how far. We don't care if it goes right, goes left, doesn't matter. If you get in the air, it's a victory. And we go up there swinging. I didn't realize until later that you let the golf club do the, the work and you don't swing hard. That's not going to work, right? All of us are swinging for the fences. Well, John, the high school pastor, gets up. He gets up to this ball. And, and he's sitting there. He's kind of doing his prep swings. You know how you do that. You know, you dress the ball. You do your press swings. And, uh, and, and you know, and, and you get ready to swing the thing, right? Well, right in front of us, there's like this school of like 100 geese or goose, or whatever, those big, those big white bird things that don't fly. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes, okay, good. Geese, like a school of geese or goose or whatever they are sitting there, and, and, and he's getting ready to swing. Now, these geese, I don't, like, I don't know what they're, they don't go in the water. All they do is poop all over the golf field. I mean, like, like huge, huge, like rat-sized turds. Anyway, so they're, and he, they're sitting right there, and, and, and John's about to take a swing. Well, John takes a swing, and it covers like six inches to a foot off the ground, heading straight in for this school of 100 geese. I mean, just going straight after them, right? And we're like, oh, and it's going super fast. And sure enough, it hits one in the neck, and boom, it just flops over. I mean, it doesn't even move. It's just a boom, gone. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just witnessed a murder, you know? And then, and, then, and then Tim Jacobs, my middle school, my boss, he's laughing so hard. He has fallen out of the cart of the, the golf cart. He's on the ground on hands. Ha, ah, ah, ha, ah, ah. ha, And John's having a conniption because he thinks he murdered a geese. And he's like, stop laughing. Stop laughing. Be quiet. You know, and, and, and that just makes Tim laugh more. I'm giggling because he's laughing, but I feel bad because we're not considering John's feelings right now, who's obviously going through something. And, and Tim's, now Tim is all, all like rolling on the ground, getting the geese poop on his white shirt, but it doesn't matter because it's too funny. Finally, until, I mean, John is like literally having a heart attack. Like his heart hurts for this geese, you know, or the goose, geese, whatever. And, and so the, the, the guy gets back up and he's like kind of dizzy, wobbling like this. And that's why there's so many of them because you can't kill them. They don't die. You know, you know what I mean? And so it starts, and then finally John's like feeling better because he's going to live. You know, things like <laughs> going like this. And so, and so he's going to live. And so he kind of comes down. He's coming off of his like, you know, high strungness. And Tim is laughing. Finally, at the very end, we're like all calm. We're like, you know, we're, we're going to the next hole. I get to the next hole. And Tim turns to John and says, I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry for whatever childhood trauma you have, but that was funny. <laughs> and, and he was like, yeah, you must have some kind of baggage from your past that, that made you react that way. But all we saw was hilarity. It was hilarious. And I'm not stopping laughing because you're going through something from your childhood past. And, and he probably did have some kind of baggage. He didn't tell us what it was. I don't know if he, like, ran over his dog when he was a kid and he always feels bad about animals dying or something. Something like that from his past that, that was traumatizing to him. And he was bringing that baggage to the situation. And, and we understand that because we all have baggage. We have childhood baggage, we have home of origin baggage, we have relationship baggage. We have organizational drama baggage in your career field. We have political baggage, we have racial baggage. Do you know you can have religious baggage too? You can have religious baggage, just like that. 
comes out of nowhere, something from over here, your pre-Christ religious experience can come back right into the fold in your religious experience and kind of define some things for you there. And just like John had this baggage that affected him, we have baggage that can affect us religiously as well. In fact, today in our passage, Paul's concerned that the Corinthians might let their previous religious experiences, that religious baggage from the past of being pagan and paganism and the worship of idols and whatnot, he's worried that that might affect their newfound faith in Christ. How do we avoid similar pitfalls? And what's the best practice in doing so? What should be, what should become our highest priority and what should become our lowest priority? Who should be in the spotlight? And what does that mean for our concept of self? Those are the questions we'll be asking in our text today and getting answers from in our text. And if you open up your Bible right now, hopefully you have a bound Bible or a phone with you or maybe online right now, you can open up a new window and open up a copy of the Word of God. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 looking at verses 1 through 11 today. love for you to open it up, take a pencil out, a highlighter, and get there with us and let this thing transsaturate yourself in it so that it will transform your life. Overarching question today is that on the screen says, how do we make sure that past religious baggage doesn't affect newfound religious realities? How do I make sure that I don't let my baggage of the past affect my present? And religiously speaking, how do I make sure that that religious baggage of the past doesn't affect newfound religious realities of today? The first thing we're going to see is that we need to keep Christ in his rightful spot. How do we make sure? Well, we keep Christ in his rightful spot. That's how. We keep Christ in his rightful place. We're going to look at that in verses 1 through 3 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, watch as I read. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit or through the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit. How do we make sure that our past religious baggage doesn't affect our newfound religious realities? We, we keep Christ in, its right, in his rightful spot. We keep him on the throne. He remains the Lord. You keep him seated on that throne. Um, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I think the ESV says, I don't want you to be uninformed. If you looked it up literally in the Greek text, it's, I don't want you to be ignorant. I literally don't want you to be ignorant. You were led astray before, and so we have to deal with some of the conceptuality of what you had going on over here when you're in the pagan lifestyle and, and make sure it doesn't creep over in here. And so I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant of these things. So I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual realities. The word there is pneuma kikos. Pneuma is where we get our word spirit. And so it's written in a plural form. So pneumas or spirituals, you know. It's like, I don't want you to be uh, uh, ignorant of spiritual things is the, is the idea. Spiritual realities is the idea. Now, they translate it in the SV spiritual gifts because later on in the text, Paul does refer to spiritual gifts. And he uses the word for that, charismata, later on in the text. And so he's probably uh, saying, so, I don't want you to be confused about spiritual realities that lead towards spiritual gifts. He certainly saying that. He's going to address that a little later. But right now, I don't want you to, I don't want you to be ignorant of the spiritual realities that are out there. 
In fact, you were ignorant of these spiritualities in the past, so much so that you were led astray. And, and, and you were led to things that could bring baggage onto your current faith. Like you were led to these mute, dumb idols. Literally the idea there is voiceless. You, you, you went to an inanimate object that can't speak to you, do anything for you, and you were led astray to believe that that was God, and you worshipped it. Now, we know that was not a God, but we also know because of chapter 8, chapter 10, there are demons behind that idol that you were worshipping. You weren't worshipping God, you were worshipping demons. You were led astray. However you were led astray, and the verb there is, is the idea of, uh, of, of being led to moments of ecstasy, This is something that was very true of their pagan, pagan culture. They would get, can, kind of get themselves in a frizzy, and, it, and, 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 and they lead to these uh, uh, you know, uh, moments of ecstasy where they would be in worship of this false god, this idol, which was really a demon, and uh, that was the, considered the climax of their, of their religious experience. If you get to that point of ecstasy where, you, where you're working yourself up and you like lost yourself in this tizzy, and then that would lead to the climac, climatic festival-like Worship of this false god by sexual orgy. Everybody else in the room is also in this tizzy, in this sexual ecstasy. Together, they would do things that you would never think. And so you were led astray so clearly. I don't want those things to flavor your idea of what's going on now in the church, is what he's saying to them. I don't want you to be ignorant of these things. Now, I want to explain to you why this is, like it works so perfectly, why it makes sense that this would be the case. How is it that there are some things in the pagan culture, paganism, that mirror the things that are going on in the church? How, how can they, how can the two be, they're, they're opposites. How can this one look like this one? How could they even be confused and how could they ever be led astray? I'll explain it to you. You see, we have an enemy, Satan, and he is the great counterfeiter. He's a great deceiver. He's been this way for thousands of years. In fact, I can take you to an example from the book of Exodus that will prove it to you. Do you remember the time when, when Moses took his staff and raised it in the air and says, Pharaoh, I'm going to show you that you need to follow what I'm saying. My God is big. He throws his staff on the ground, and what does it become? It becomes a serpent. It becomes a snake. And Pharaoh goes, man, that's pretty impressive. You can check it out today. It's in Exodus chapter 7 if you want to read it. And, man, that's pretty impressive. He looks over to his, his magicians and his sorcerers and, his, and, and the magicians of Egypt and goes, can you guys do that? Because if we can't, then their God is really big and we should listen to what he says. And the magicians and the sorcerers, and the, they, 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 they grab their staff and they throw it on the ground and what happened to them? It became a snake too. And he's looking back and goes, well, yeah, your God is not that big. My, my magicians can do that. Do you know what happened afterwards though? Yeah. Moses' snake eats the other snakes. As if to say, okay, Satan, you may be able to mirror some of the things of God. You may be able to do things not yet as high of a caliber as God because God is greater than you and you are under. You may be able to mirror these things and look like it and counterfeit it, but in the end, God's snake ate yours. God's bigger every day of the week. This is why we don't get scared of evil. We don't get scared of the evil one. We don't get scared of demons. God's bigger than all that. So understand that you're on the side that wins. We don't have to be scared of that. We need to respect it. It's there for sure. But here he is from the very beginning. Old Testament, he mimics, he takes things that are meant for spiritual value, and he will thwart them and counterfeit them and, and, and completely use them to, 
to try to get people off, to try to uh, get them to think, you know what, maybe this is, wait, we did, we did this like ecstasy thing over here, and we're doing it now. Oh, I get that. I understand that one. And to confuse the whole situation. And so Paul says, I want you to be understanding. I don't want you to be ignorant on how these things work. And he gives the decoder. So I'll give you the decoder so that you're not deceived. I'll give you the decoder in verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. This is two things. Jesus cursed, Jesus Lord. In fact, there is no supplied verb if you look at the original Greek. It says Jesus cursed, Jesus Lord. Jesus accursed, anathema is accursed in Greek. Jesus Lord, kurios. Uh, but there's no, there's no verb there. We're supplying the verb. Jesus is a curse. Jesus is Lord. Uh, 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 Jesus, another way to do that would say Jesus grant a curse could be that. Uh, we have to supply a verb there. It seems a little far-fetched that people are coming to church and going, Jesus is cursed. I'm pretty sure if you said that here, we'd escort you out. I'm just saying. An usher would probably get you, you know, we'd call the police and go, you obviously don't want to be here because we're, we're, we're valuing Jesus as Lord. Right? So it's a little far-fetched to think that in the, in the assembly in the Corinthian church, somebody's going in there and saying, Jesus Christ, you think they'd just get him out of there? Why would they even be debating that? But if somebody did that, that would be a sure sign that that's coming from a spirit that's not of God. That, that is a counterfeit spirit speaking there. Another way to look at it is maybe they were taking their paganistic background and saying, hey, we would go to our patron God and ask that God to curse someone else. This is very common, especially if you're like running a race, you're doing the Olympic games. You go to your God, ask him to curse your, your opponent because you wanted to what? You wanted to win, right? Or you have enemies and you have, you have this guy who's like, you know, competing with you in business. And you go to your God and ask him to curse. And, and if this is the case, then what Paul's saying, Christians don't curse people. And we don't curse in the name of Christ. We don't curse people in the name of Christ. That's, that's not a thing that happens through the spirit of God. I understand that maybe in your paganistic background you used to do that. You leave that there. When you come here, we do things differently. Could be either or. We're not sure. We don't have the verb. But Christians don't curse. We don't rain down curses on people. That's witchcraft. That's not Christianity. Secondly, he says, Jesus, Lord. As part of the grand decoder, understand that a spirit that comes to you and elevates Christ as Lord amongst you, that is someone who is motivated by the very spirit of God. If any teacher ever comes to town and, and, and highlights Jesus' Lord and, and puts him a little higher, and every day you hear him talk, Jesus gets higher and higher and higher, and you get lower and lower and lower, you can be sure that that person's coming from the Spirit of God. Because that's what the Spirit of God does. It, it, it magnifies, but puts Jesus Christ in the preeminent role, puts him number one in our lives, where we say, he's higher, I'm lower, he's Lord, and master, I'm not. I'm slave and servant in this relationship. He's Lord. That's how you know, and by the way, you got to remember, how do we know something's of God? We go to this thing. This is why, as our church, we, we have a value. We're unapologetic about biblical truth. We go to the Bible, and this is where we find truth. And if anything relevant in our culture contradicts it, we prefer this over whatever culture is saying. That, that's why we do that, right? But what's not around yet in the first century? Help me out now. I was already late the first hour. We can go another 20. The Bible's not around yet. And so how do they know when they're getting a word from God and when they're not? As people come into town speaking for God, do you think, Jesus, do you think Satan's not going to want to uh, throw in counterfeit prophets, throw in counterfeit 
deceiving people and trying to get into the actual circle and get them to see things uh, the wrong way? How do they know? I'll tell you how you know. Jesus will never be accursed from the Spirit, and he will always be elevated as God if the person is speaking by the Spirit. That's your decoder. That is your decoder. The person elevates Jesus Christ in your life as Lord, sign that they're from the Lord. If they do the opposite, sign that they're from the enemy. He says, keep Christ in his rightful spot. Keep him in the rightful spot in your life. Uh, only listen and participate with and, and follow teachers that are keeping Christ in the right spot. When you leave feeling uncomfortable because you heard this message because God got bigger and you got smaller, great, keep on watching that person. When you leave the message and you feel like, man, I feel really good about myself and my inner self-esteem, be careful. Did God get bigger and did you get smaller? Or did you get bigger and did God get smaller? Do you see the difference? That's what he's saying. Christ should always be elevated. How do we make sure that we don't, we don't take the, the baggage from the past? Well, whenever we're starting to think about ourselves and, 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 and selfishly thinking and, and forgetting Christ preeminent in our lives, we're starting to veer off course. He says, keep Christ in his rightful spot. In the past, when you were under the influence of demonic beings, the prince and power of the heiress had stolen your hearts, but now you've been conquered by God so that you can see and the fact that you can see means that you can say this, Christ is Lord. In fact, say it with me. Christ is Lord. The fact that you can see that and have mental assent to that and a heart with, with affections toward that, that is a work of God in your life. Say it one more time. Christ is Lord. That doesn't happen in the natural you have blinders on, scales on. Your sin mars you from your ability to see him. So the fact that you're able to see that and say that and believe that is God has done a miracle to open your eyes. Only a person who's had their eyes open, been granted the very faith that we have is there because God opened your eyes. So if you can say Christ is Lord, that is a miracle. That's what happens when you truly know the Lord. Well, you keep Christ in his rightful spot. How do we make sure that past religious baggage doesn't affect newfound religious realities? Well, one, we keep Christ in his proper place, in his proper spot. Two, keep yourself in proper perspective. Well, if Christ is seated up there, then I should be underneath. I keep the humble perspective. If Christ is up there as master and Lord, then I'm servant slave. If Christ is up here, then I'm down here. It's not about me growing, 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 so my Head keeps on growing. No, he gets bigger, I get smaller. You keep yourself in proper perspective. We're going to see that in verses 4 through 11. It says this. It'll be on the screen for you. It says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities. Effects is the other way of saying that. But the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. I wish if you were taking notes right now or if you have a highlighter pen or a pencil that you would underline that in your Bible. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what and for why? For the common good. For the common good. Why does he, did he give us those things so we can elevate ourselves? No, he gave us those things for the common good. Everybody say common good. Common good. Let's say it one more time, common good. 
And it's so big because it sets us up for everything we're going to learn about spiritual gifts. This wasn't about you. It's what about for you. Look at me now. Everybody can see me functioning in this gift. No, it is for the what? Common good. And so uh, to each given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for one is given through, uh, through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another the faith and by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings, it's actually plural, gifts of healings by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another's various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of those tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same who? Spirit, who apportions each one individually as what? As he wills. By the way, I want to let you know, whatever gift you have, God gave it to you. And so you can't complain about not getting that one. I wanted that one, but I got this one. No, God gave it to you. He apportions as he wills. Whatever you have, you are to function in it for the what? Oh, see, it was never about you anyway. <laughs> the gift was never for, about you. It was for the common good. How do we make sure that past religious baggage doesn't affect newfound religious realities? Well, we keep ourselves in proper perspective. He says there's a variety of gifts, and yet the Trinitarian disbursement of them. In verses 4 through 6, I'll, 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 I'll read it to you again. He says there are a variety of gifts with the same spirit, there are a variety of ministries with the same Lord. That's Jesus Christ, the Lord. There's a variety of effects, or, or, or I forget what the ESV uses there. Manifestations? I don't remember. Activities. Oh, I could just read it there. Activities. There are a variety of activities with the same God. That's the Father. And so God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are the ones who are seeing to it that these gifts are given. So whatever gift you end up with, just understand, it's divinely inspired. That's your gift. Now you take that into consideration in a context and in a culture. If you've been with us in the First Corinthian church, you remember that there's a classism going on. Do you remember that? There's the elites, and then there's the, there's the, the Roman citizens, and then there's the freemen, but then there's the poor freemen, then there's the slaves, and they had all these different classifications. There's more than like 15 of them. I just kind of summarized them into four. And surely the elites are going, well, we want the best gifts then. Like, we should get the best ones. I want the good one, because I'm elite. And here Paul's going out of his way and saying, no, understand this, the triune God has delivered those gifts according to his will, and he's going to give you as he sees fit, and it's not about you being higher or lower on the, uh, on the, you know, the stratosphere of figuring out which one's better and which one's best and which one's not. It's about you functioning within the gift that he gave you and using it to the grand ability to give God glory for the common good. All right, you guys are following. That's good. Two things become free, uh, clear. There's a variety of these things. And secondly, God is the person who hands them out. Interestingly enough, we see gift lists in about two or three other places. We see a gift list in, in Ephesians. We see a gift list in Romans. We see a gift list in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians. We'll see some more about this in chapter 14 as well. And also, interestingly enough, you cannot find an exhaustive list in any of these places. What do I mean by that? You can't go to one of these passages, passages as the master list. Like there are some gifts in Corinthians that are not mentioned in Romans. Some gifts in Romans that aren't mentioned in Ephesians. Some gifts in Ephesians that aren't mentioned in 1 Corinthians. You can't find an exhaustive list. 
You can't go, well, here's the master list that has all of them, and then, you know, Paul and Ephesians you decided to focus on two of them, and then and Paul and Romans decided, no, there, there's different ones in each list. So what does that mean? It most likely means that it's not an exhaustive list, meaning there are giftings out there that we don't even know about. There's several ways that God empowers the church for the common good by giving miraculous giftings into his believers so that they can glorify him, and and they're not even all listed. There's some we don't even have written down in the Bible. Maybe you feel like you're in that, oh man, I've never found mine, but I am good at this. Boom, there it is. Variety of gifts, all given by the same God. The main thing to remember here is he gives the gifts for the greater good of the body. Verse 7 is kind of like the banner verse of this whole entire section. It's for the greater good. It's not for you. It's not for you to look better than everybody else. It's not because you have a stage gift and the lights are on you that all of a sudden you're better. No, it's for the common good of the body. For the common good of the body. Variety gifts all for the common good. Now Paul switches and he starts kind of laying out these gifts. But I have to be honest with you, he doesn't tell us exactly what they are. And the reason he doesn't do that is because they're experiencing them in the, in, in, in the church in Corinth. They know what he's talking about. He doesn't feel the need to define them because they're experiencing them. They're seeing them every week at church. We are now coming in 2,000 years later going, I wonder what he meant by that because we weren't there 2,000 years ago and there's no video on record. You can't look that one up on Google. That's hilarious. Anyway, and so I have to embrace some ambiguity here. And you should embrace some ambiguity too. We're not sure what these things definitively are. And somebody who tells you that they are sure that they know what a definitively is, definitively is, man, I don't know they can prove that from Scripture. So we're going to go through, and we'll tell you what we think they are. The list of the gifts, word of wisdom. Uh, this would be extreme wisdom in life situations. You ever been in that conversation where five people are talking for like an hour, and then all of a sudden one person who's been quiet the whole time says something, and it's like, boom, that's exactly right. Why didn't we just listen to him in the first five minutes? We just wasted an hour. Gift of wisdom. Uh, but I got to be honest with you, it, it very likely also is uh, some kind of revelatory gift as well. Remember, there's no Bible around, so they can't cross-reference the Word of God to figure out what's God's. And so the Word of Wisdom probably was also a miraculous word from God to give wisdom in a certain situation of how to move forward. They didn't have the Word of God like we do today in its complete canonical state Word of knowledge. This would be insight to um, doctrinal truths. Um, you could say that I have a word of knowledge, I guess, in that sense, that, that I've studied and I know a lot about the scriptures. I love studying the scriptures. But also with this one is probably a revelatory gift as well for the first century where they were needing a word of knowledge. Of which, which is right, God? What are we, where do we go? Where, right or left? How do we handle this? We just came out of paganism. How do we now do this Christian thing when that's our experience? Word of wisdom, word of knowledge would come into the fold. The gift of faith. This is probably not the faith that we all breathe into when we come to know Christ because this says that, uh, our passage says that the, the Spirit gives to everybody and not everybody gets each one. We all, if we come to faith in Christ, we all get that gift. So this must be an additional faith, a greater faith, probably like a faith to move mountain type of faith, Matthew 17, 20 type of faith where uh, if you have the face of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. 
I'll never forget one of my favorite preachers was Dr. Tony Evans, and he was either uh, preaching at a crusade or some kind of evangelistic outdoor crusade, or he was at, you know, somebody else's, but somehow he found himself in the leadership team, and there was a storm heading their way, like not just a small storm, like rain, hail, and thunder clouds. And it's supposed to arrive on the scene at the time that they're starting. So they're huddled around a circle, and they're praying, and he's praying with the leadership team, uh, you know, and yeah, the prayers go, man, if it be in your will, Lord Jesus, would you uh, make sure that we, man, we, we just get horribly wet, but no thunder, because we want to be able to preach the gospel. People are coming, we know people are bringing their friends, and no, just, we want this to be God glorifying to you. If, you. if it be in your will, if we have, if, if, you, if we need to cancel, would you, would, you, would you give us wisdom on to cancel or not? And he goes, and then Sister Margaret started praying. In the name of Jesus, that cloud will move and disperse, and there will not be one ounce of water on that field. We will preach the name of God. We will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will be glorified, and people will get saved. I declare in the name of Jesus that those clouds will be removed. You get the faith. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? The clouds dispersed, thunderstorms all around them to the right and the left, and once it passed them, it got back again, but in that little circle... There was not one drop that night. It's a gift of faith. Some of you have it. can see things that God can do in amazing ways, and you believe in it. Gifts of healings. Either this is gifts of different kinds of healings. There's different diseases, so each different disease that gets healed is a different kind of healings. Or it's gifts of healings in the sense that there's a limited number of them, meaning like uh, each, it's not like you're giving the gift of healing to a healer, it's gifts of healing, so every healing is a gift. Depending on which side of the argument you talk to, you can view it both ways. Gifts of miracles, literally these are acts of power, certainly the apostles access this um, in, in their ability to be apostles and to validate their inscripturation of the word of God. Prophecy, speaking God's truth to God's people. Certainly would be encompassed in this, the ability to be prophetic about the future, to be able to predict things that are still to come, to foretell things that are coming. That would definitely be a part of it. That's the Old Testament um, origin of the word of a prophet. Distinguishing spirits, special ability to distinguish a true prophet between uh, uh, special dis ability to distinguish a true prophet from a satanic deceiver. This was vital in the first century. Somebody says, "Hey, I got a word from God." Well, how do we know it is or isn't? Was well, somebody with the gift of distinguishing spirits who could tell you? Certainly, first decoder if they're evaluating Christ on high then that would be a first decoder. Various kinds of tongues, these are definitely languages. The ability to speak in various kinds of languages. Now there's great debate here because there's both earthly and heavenly languages. So what if you're speaking in a heavenly language and that would come across like a gibberish on earth? We'll talk more about that when we get to chapter 14. Interestingly enough, it's at the end of the list. And the reason it's probably at the end of the list is because they were infatuated by this one. Somehow they latched onto this idea that that ecstasy kind of thing and paganism and then this uh, speaking a different language, maybe they're mirroring each other. That's the one we all want. And they latched onto that one, and he's going to be challenging them on that in chapter 14. Interpretation of those tongues, the ability to understand different languages, both earthly and heavenly, depending on how you take that, even when they're not your native tongue. The main thing here is to remember that God gifts everyone individually as he wishes. When they are enamored by a certain gift, you're not to be enamored by a certain gift. We need all of them for the 
common good. So whether it's a miraculous gift, a revelatory gift, a stage gift, a behind-the-scene gift, you function in your gifting and use it to God's glory. That's the idea, not worrying about who got what gift. And so the age-old question, are these, some of these miraculous and revelatory gifts, are they still around today? Are they still here today? Do we have access to them today? Well, that's for another day. And you'll have to come back when we teach on chapter 14 to hear the answer. <laughs> that's called a hook, baby. I will say for right now that, uh, you know, they were very effective in validating and authenticating the gospel in the first century. Just as in the Old Testament, God will authenticate his messengers, his prophets, with the miraculous. Just like he authenticated Jesus Christ and his messiahship through the miraculous, so the apostles were authenticated through the miraculous. I'll say that for now, and the rest will come back to you later. There's no such thing as a small gift, and there's no such thing as a big gift. There's not a better or best in this situation. There's just an is. God disperses them. He decides who gets what. And our job is to live in them and use them for his glory for the common good. It's so important because participation in the kingdom of God is more about God than it ever was about you. In fact, it's our big idea today. Participation in the big kingdom of God is more about God than it ever was about you. Participation in the kingdom of God is more about him than it is about you. I mean, the worst thing that could ever happen to a church is, a, is to have a pastor who, who's fallen in love with the sound of his own voice. So this whole pa- platform thing is, is more about him than, than you. Can you imagine? He's supposed to be building God's kingdom. Instead, he's distracted with building a kingdom to himself. It's all the books and the online messages and the podcasts and the interviews and the guest speaking opportunities. Was it ever about God or was it just about you building your fo- following? Believe it or not, that happens. Scary thought. Hopefully I'm more up here about preaching his word to you so that you can grow in your faith more so than I'm ecstatic that you're watching me. Participation in the kingdom of God is more about God than it is about you. And for you in the, in the pew or in the seats, you might say, well, pastor, man, my gifting is, you know, I got a behind-the-scenes gifting. I mean, who's going to notice if I ever use it? If I don't facilitate in the church, what's a big deal? I mean, it's like, nobody is going to notice it. There's 500 people can do that. Not many people can do what you do. I mean, it's not like I have a, a stage role gift, a, 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 a stage lighting gift, a, a payroll gift. Got none of that. Well, there's only one problem with that kind of idea. Our scripture seems to say the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit happen to hand out those gifts. Did he make a mistake? Do you know better than God? Like the whole Corinthian mistake is they were elevating certain gifts and putting other ones in there, tearing them up. For you to like place yourself on the bench because you don't think you have a stage gift, when God calls the plays and is expecting everybody to be involved, I mean, I don't know. I don't think I'd want to be there when he calls you to account on that, on that whole parable about the bearing your talent thing. And I just don't think I'd want to be there. But you do you. I'm like, do you? Actually, don't do you. Don't do you. Because participation in the kingdom of God is not about you. It's about God and what it's never been about you. There's something that you bring to the table that would be good for the common good and glory to God if you were to bring it. And no one else in the room can bring it. Only you can. And I don't know what it is. And it may not even be listed in what we said. There's some kind of supernatural divine gifting God's given you for the greater betterment of the entire body to where God is glorified if you would use it. 
And without you, it ain't good. You know, it's interesting, there are people in this church who have a backstage background gift, and if they're more faithful to that gift than I am to my teaching gift, they will be more rewarded in heaven than I am, even though I'm on the stage with lights. Did you catch that? The issue isn't what kind of gift, the issue is faithfulness to the gift, to use it for his glory, to use it for the common good. Well, I remember years ago, I had a friend named Sean. Sean wasn't particularly good at speaking, didn't belong on a stage. Sean wasn't very good at being administrative even. On face value, you might go, I don't know what gift the guy has. If he has one, but God's supposed to give everybody a gift. He's a Christian, so he has to have one, but nobody knows what the gift is. He'd come up with these harebrained ideas, and he'd go to his wife and say, I got this really good idea. And she'd go, that's never going to work. And so you know what he did? He stopped telling her. So I'm not going to tell you anymore. You tell me my, my ideas aren't going to work. Woke up one morning and said, you know what? I, uh, my birthday's coming up. Called a couple buddies. I want you to buy as much meat as you can. I want you to bring a, 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 a grill, and I want you to bring a grill. We're going to meet on the corner right next to that gas station in Rodeo. It's my birthday. I want to have a barbecue. And the guys were like, hey, we'll do anything for you, Sean. No problem. He goes, then they asked him, well, who's going to show up? He goes, the community. He goes, how are you going to get the community to show up? Don't worry about that. Just bring meat. Bring the, bring the grills. They show up that day with meat and grills and wondering who in the world they're going to feed. But they got a lot of meat. Got like five guys. Got, all right. Sean said cook meat. We're cooking. Happy birthday, Sean. You know what Sean would do? He'd go knock on every door. And by the way, Rodeo isn't like, you know, Beverly Hills. It's not like Rodeo Drive. It's kind of more like the hood. He'd knock on doors. He goes, hey, you don't know me. But it's my birthday. I wonder if you'd celebrate with me. My buddies are down the street by that gas station and they're making burgers right now. Could you bring yourself, your wife, your kids, everybody, your grandma, bring them on out. We're gonna keep on feeding people so we don't have any meat anymore. And you knock on every door and door and door and door until people came. The next year he decided to do it again. He did the second year, the third year, the fourth year, the fifth year, the sixth year. Somewhere around the 10th year, a thousand people came to a park Filled with balloons, kids, games, face paint, free food, gospel choir, live band, a gospel booth for adults, a gospel booth for children. <laughs> and there was this two-story fence, right, next to the park. There was a, like on a, a, a tennis court type of fence. And a big old sign, you know what it said? Sean's Birthday Barbecue. And a thousand people showed up. There was Sean. What was he gifted in? It wasn't, he wasn't a gifted speaker. He wasn't a gifted administrator. By the 10th year, they had people who were helping him with that stuff. He's an idea guy, not an administrative guy. Just gifted in mercy. I remember him telling me, he'd walk into the hood. Here he is. Sean is as wide as they come, like balding even. You know what I mean? Middle-aged. He walks in the hood, and these big old black dudes surround him, like in a circle, like an intimidation. Like, what are you doing in our hood, man? What do you think you're doing? And he's sitting there, and he's like, I go, what'd you do, man? You're going to get jumped. And he goes, man, I went to the biggest one. I took one of my flyers. I hit him on his chest. I said, man, you need to go to my barbecue. It's my birthday. Bring your wife. Bring your kids. We'll have face paint. You need to come. And he just walked out of that circle. And somehow he got out of that situation without dying. And they'd come. And they'd come. And they'd come. I'll never forget the scramble. One day when 
Sean had found out that somebody at his barbecue, there's a thousand people at his barbecue, somebody had his, let him know that there's a woman, a single parent mother, who didn't have a washing machine and she can't wash her baby's clothes to go to school. I'm sitting there watching the scramble as Sean talks to all these people. Who, where can we get one? Well, who's got a truck? How do we get it there? We gotta do it now. I want it. And I'm sitting there going, ah, by golly, I put money out of that woman has a washing machine by sundown. And once you know it, got the truck, find out where it is, who wants to chip in, and they got that woman a washing machine before sundown. He could have let the fact that he doesn't have a stage gift limit his vision on how God can use him. I'm so glad that he didn't let the fact that he wasn't standing under stage lights like I am stop him from influencing over a thousand people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my question, what could God do through you if you just stopped tripping over yourself? Like if you exalted Jesus to the right place and you put yourself in the right spot and you just allowed his gifting to reign true and use it to the full ability for the glory of God, for the common good of the church, what would he do through you? If you really latched on to the idea that participation in the kingdom of God is more about God than it ever was about you. Why don't you bow my heads and close your eyes as we pray together. Father, I know there's other Sean's in this building right now. I know there's other people that you want to use to do grand things, things that we couldn't even imagine with our eyes, but you've already figured it out. If they just get out of the way of their own selves, things that I could never even accomplish. You built me a certain way and I'm functioning within the gift that you've given me. There are other people in the room sitting on the side. It just doesn't matter. Nobody's going to see. Nobody's going to be able to tell if I don't use it what if today was a day? I'm going. I'm running. You gave it to me. You built me this way. I'm here with a cause. You have a reason. I have a ministry. There's, 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 a, there's a way that you want to use me, and I'm, I'm done putting up the wall and saying you're not going to use No, I'm going to run towards it, and if I fail, I fail. And if I mess up, I mess up. If it doesn't turn out, then it doesn't turn out, but I will not stand before you one day. And you ask me, why did I bury it? I will not stand before you one day and have to answer that question. I pray that you'd reinvigor some people in this church so that we have 500 people looking for how they can use our gifts to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. Yeah, awesome message. You know, in the beginning of the message, he's talking about uh, relig- religious baggage and things we bring. You know, uh, Camp CC, we're really not about being religious. We're not about this um, religious observance of trying to earn your way to God. This church is about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, making him the Lord of your life so you can say that Jesus is Lord, submitting yourself to him and his word and living for him. Um, you know, it's, uh, I like to think of it as like a throne in your life. And if you don't know Jesus, you know who's sitting on the throne as you are. You're, you're kind of calling the shots in life and you're trying to live for yourself in the world. But when you become a Christian, you get yourself off that throne and you put Jesus on it. And you say, you're the leader, you're the Lord. And you kind of take a knee next to that throne and say, Lord, whatever you want, I'm gonna, I'm yours, I'll follow you. Um, and that's what it means to be a Christian. Interesting thing, if uh, even as Christians, sometimes we take Jesus off that throne and put ourselves back on it. He may still be in our life, but we're 
not living for him. And sometimes we just need a reminder um, and we can come back to him at any point and say, you know, all you gotta do is say, Lord, here's your throne. I'm gonna follow you. I'm sorry, I did it again. I took back control. Uh, maybe today someone in here needs to put Jesus back on the throne in their life. Maybe for the very first time. If God's doing something in your life today, would you let us know? I mean, we have people here who really want to walk this journey with you, want to pray with you, help you along, answer your questions. Um, if you can just stop by the lobby and the welcome counter on your way out, there's people there ready to talk with you. If you're online, go to our website and go to camp, um, click on next steps at the top of the page. And there's a form you can fill out and one of our pastors will get back to you to help walk this journey with you. You know, one of the ways we like to honor Jesus as Lord is through giving. Uh, there's three ways to do that. We do that in our worship service because it's part of worship. It's part of saying God, um, acknowledging that all the goodness in our life comes from him. We're just giving back a portion of what he's already given to us. You can't outgive God. You give, he gives you more. Um, so it's a way of honoring him, acknowledging him, and following the scriptures. Hey KMCC, I'm Ben Mathis, and I'm a part of the high school ministry, which is awesome. If you're a first, second, or third time guest, we have some gifts for you. We want to put a face to the name, so please go to the welcome counter in the lobby with your connection card or kmcc.net slash next steps. Check out what's coming up at KMCC. The month of February, Community Impact Initiative. We have a food drive to restock our food pantry. Check out the card for what their needs are. Email meredith at kmcc.net for more info. March 5th, Art Show, 5 p.m. K through three is hosting an art show. Kindergarten through third grade students can submit artwork throughout the month of February, and it will be displayed gallery style around the church. Students and their families are encouraged to participate by submitting artwork, but the entire church is invited to join on the evening of the show. Awards will be given to students who submit art, and refreshments will be provided. For more information, contact Sarah at kncc.net. Travis Green and Israel Houghton One Night Only Concert has been postponed. If you already have tickets with the original date, keep and bring those and you will be good to go. Important dates coming up, so make sure you save the date. Family Camp, May 27th through 30th. High School Friathon Camp, June 19th through 24th. And the Middle School Catalina Trip, August 5th through 8th. Stay in the loop of what's going on at KMCC. Follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to KMCC.net. I just want to thank Dave so much for that refreshing message, and I will continue to reflect on it, ensuring that I place God in His proper position and His rightful position while keeping myself in the proper perspective to bring all glory to God, because after all, without Him, it ain't no good. Remember, if it is your first time, or second time, or third time, here, go to, go to the welcome counter to get your gift. And if you're watching online, go to campcc.net slash next steps. Next week, please don't forget to come really hungry. Awana will be raising money for scholarships with delicious burritos. Have a great week, everyone, and we will see you next week.